Welcome to Swerve Church. I'm so glad that you guys made an effort to come out here. And like I know it was a big effort for some of you because you left the ham and the penil in the oven. By the way, that's kind of dangerous. You shouldn't leave the oven on when nobody's at home. But thank you for coming out anyway. I'm so glad that you guys made an effort to join us here Christmas Eve at Swerve Church. I'm so glad um, that you're here. Let me just re-emphasize one more time what Stephen just mentioned. Swerve Church will donate $3 for every Facebook check-in today. So you're here today, you're listening to me, it's okay to take out your phone in church. It's all right, you won't get in trouble. I know you probably get in trouble elsewhere, not here. You can take out your phone, check in on Facebook, and for every check-in, $3 is going to go straight to Charity Water. All right, so if you want to give to charity today, that's an easy way to do it. You can go ahead and do that today. Do you guys know what's one of the most miserable places that you can find yourself in? One of the most miserable places in all the earth is the DMV, right? Like, who enjoys going to the DMV? The reason nobody likes going to the DMV and nobody finds it joyful is because when you go there, you know that there's going to be a line, right? The lines are ridiculous at the DMV. If you have to go to the DMV, you better pack your patience because you're going to be there for a long, long time. In fact, one time I went to the DMV on Atlantic Avenue, you guys know by the mall, and, you know, you take the es- those escalators that go straight up. All I did is take that escalator up. As soon as I got off, the line started right there, right off the escalator. It was ridiculous. That's how long. If you guys have ever been there, you know what it is. It's a ridiculously long line. But, but nobody enjoys waiting, especially here in New York City, right? Because we're in arguably one of the fastest-paced cities in the universe, right? It's extremely rushed. It's extremely hectic. It's extremely hurried. And nobody has time to waste. If you order your food at McDonald's, you want it now, right? You want it in five minutes. Nobody got time. If you go to the gas station, there better be a pump available, right? Because otherwise, I mean, all hell's going to break loose, right? If you're taking the train to work, oh, boy, it better be on time. Otherwise, oh, man, MTA is going to have it. I will tweet them to death, right? If it doesn't happen. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a patient person? Do you consider yourself a patient person? You know, for a lot of people, we're honest, man. If, if patients were a gas tank, we'd be walking around on empty all the time, right? The best way to know whether or not you're a patient person is to remember the last time you had to wait for something or wait for someone. How often did you pace back and forth? How often did you walk around? How often did you look at your phone for the time or look at your watch, right? Or how about this? How many times did you... How many times did you do that? How many times did you suck your teeth and roll your eyes? That is a great determining factor of how patient you truly are. But waiting sucks, doesn't it? Like waiting sucks. But these are are all lighthearted examples of times that, you know, we get stuck waiting. But what about, what about those intense and difficult moments in life? How about when you're waiting for that medical report to come through? How about when you're waiting to hear some news from that loved one that is really ill, that's really sick? How about when you're waiting for answers to some of life's toughest questions about life? Like, God, what did you put me here on earth? What is my purpose? What career should I pursue? Who should I marry? And when when you're asking those questions and when you find yourself in the middle of waiting, seconds can feel like minutes. Minutes can feel like hours. Hours can feel like days, and those seasons of waiting can drag on and on. I remember a time when I was stuck waiting. You know what's another place where you waste like a third of your life 
is in the waiting room of an ER, right, or, or a hospital, right? You go to a doctor's appointment, you go to an ER, and you get stuck waiting there. I hate it, right? But I, I remember um, that experience there. It sucks. It's horrible waiting, right? But Melissa, Melissa was pregnant with my oldest son, Junior, who's right here in the front row. And I remember she was in her third trimester of her pregnancy. And uh, they say that women, when they're pregnant, they, uh, they get clumsy. Uh, women, you could, t- well, actually husbands, you can tell me, are women clumsier, right, when they're uh, pregnant? I don't know, I've heard of that. Listen, I experienced it, okay? One time, um, it was a beautiful afternoon, it was sunny, it was sometime right before summertime or whatever. We, we said, hey, let's go for a walk. She's in her last trimester, you know, um, and it's good for her to do some exercise. And so, you know, we said, let's go for a walk. We're going to go with some friends and some family. We're going to go to a park. We're going to have a wonderful time at the park. So we were um, actually going down the steps. At the time, we lived on the second floor of an apartment building. No elevator. We're going down the steps. Can you guys believe this? At, by, the, by the fourth or third step, before she got to the floor, she trips on that floor. She lands right on her belly. She lands right on her stomach. She landed so hard that she slid. After she fell, she didn't just plop. It was, she slid across the floor and banged into the door to head out. That's how far she uh, she. She slid. That's how hard she felt. Man, our hearts drop. She's in her last trimester of her pregnancy. It's our firstborn, right? We jumped in the car. We ran to the hospital. And because she was already in her last trimester of her pregnancy, they rushed us directly to labor and delivery. And so we go up there, and, you know, they got the people in the counter. We explain to them the situation. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're like, man, you know, she just fell down from about a fourth step. And we're totally scared. We don't know if the baby's going to survive. We don't know if the baby's going to make it. We don't know what's going to happen. And they say, okay, okay, go and sit down. Go and wait. We're going to call you when we're ready. And so we go. And we, we patiently sit down. And we wait in the waiting room. In that time, seconds turned to minutes. Minutes turned to hours. Hours felt like an eternity. And we were freaking out. Because we were like, you know, she had taken such a hard fall. We thought if there was any chance of saving the baby whatsoever, it was completely gone at this point. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine sitting there? It was scary. It was nerve-wracking. We felt so hopeless in that moment. Some of you feel like that right now. You came to church today. You put on your best, your Sunday best. You put on, you're wearing your smile. But you feel like that right now. You're in a season of waiting. You have more questions than answers. Maybe you feel scared. Maybe you're worried. You know, maybe you're anxious. You know, your season of waiting can even lead you to become frustrated or angry or disgruntled or even stressed out. And in your season of waiting, you might be asking God, when are you going to restore this relationship, God? When are you going to fix this? When are you going to bless me with some finances, Lord? You know that we're in need. When are you going to heal me from this very real pain? What are you going to do to remove this addiction from me? And some of you are in here in this place right now. Do you guys know who else felt like that? Actually, it wasn't just one person, but a whole people. In the Bible, the Israelites, they had received a promise that the Messiah was coming. They heard the Messiah was going to come and he was going to come. He was whoever this was, was going to rescue them and he was going to deliver them. And they were waiting. When is that promise going to come? When is that going to happen? In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it's been our key verse for this entire series. You know, I love if we can read it together today. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. If you take out your message notes, all the verses are right there for you. You can go ahead and follow along. But in Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to Joseph to confirm for him 
that the child that Mary is going to give birth to is none other than Jesus. You guys all know the Christmas story, right? You probably have a manger. You've seen a manger somewhere. You see the, the Mary, you see Joseph, you see Jesus sitting in a little uh, a feeding trough, right? And you see the manger scene. Well, in that moment, when, when Joseph finds out that his, his betrothed wife, his, his, the one he's engaged to be married to, is pregnant. And so the Bible says that he was a righteous man and said that he was going to divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't get uh, scrutinized for being pregnant. But then the angel appears to him and says, Joseph, the baby that's in her womb is not just any baby. It's the baby that was promised in the Bible, in the Old Testament, by the prophets of old. That's the baby that's going to be born. So I would love if we would read Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It's up here in the screen. It's in your notes as well. Let's read it out loud together. You guys ready? Go. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, this verse right here is a direct quote from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and it was prophesied way before that this would happen. Now, if you're here today and you're not too familiar with the Bible, it's okay. Let me help you out. The Bible split up into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament is all about God's promises and God's people and creation and his, his speaking to his people through his prophets. And it was the promise of what was to come in the New Testament. The second half of the Bible is the New Testament. It's the story of Jesus and his arrival and, and the promise finally coming to fruition. It's, it's Jesus being born, it's the miracles, it's him being led to a cross, dying for the sins of the world, and his soon coming. So that's what this is all about, all the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, where this is quoted from, it was prophesied before. Now, here's the question you got to ask yourself. When was Isaiah written? Isaiah was written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It's 700 years after this prophecy in the Old Testament that it finally comes to fulfillment. And you got upset because the barista Starbucks took a little bit too long. Right? The Israelites were waiting 700 years from, the, from when this prophecy was told until its fulfillment. That's generations and generations and generations. That's waiting, waiting, and waiting. 700 years. Is that where you find yourself this Christmas season? Do you find yourself in a season, in a time of waiting? You know, perhaps you find yourself waiting for this difficult season to pass. You're tired of shedding tears. You're tired of all the hurt. And you're asking yourself, when is this going to go? When is this going to be done? When is this going to pass? Perhaps you find yourself in a season of waiting in your career or with your finances. And you ask yourself, when am I going to get out of this dead-end job? You know, when am I going to find something better that pays more with better hours? When is that going to happen? And it's a sincere season of waiting. You know, perhaps you find yourself waiting on an answer from God. And you begin to think, God, I've been asking, I've been praying, I've been, I've been asking you for this, and you haven't given it, you're not answering to me. Are you real, God? Are you even real? Do you even exist? If you do, you most certainly don't care very much about me. Maybe you find yourself in a season of waiting. So what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in a season of waiting? For the rest of our time, I want to look at one verse. And we're going to kind of take this verse apart. It's found in the book of Romans. Just to give you guys a little context, Romans is a letter in the New Testament that was written to a church by the Apostle Paul. 
<clears throat> now, many of you know the Apostle Paul. You guys know his story. You've heard of him. He was the guy that was once upon a time, he was a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. He was a murderer of Christians. But he experiences this radical transformation. And he goes from a persecutor of Christians to leading people to Christ and starting churches all over the Middle East and all over Europe. And this is Paul. He's the one that writes these words. And in this part of the letter, he mentions what the attitude of a Christian person should be. In other words, if a person has been genuinely transformed by the power of God, they would begin to demonstrate these qualities. Now, let, this is a side note. Some of you guys are kicking the tires of Christianity, right? And you're like, man, I don't know about this whole God and church thing. I don't really, I don't know if I want to do this. I know Christians and they're miserable. They suck, you know. Well, listen. They probably do. And it's because they're not following what is written in the Bible. These are evidences of what a person would live like, what a person should look like when they're a follower of Jesus. So on behalf of all those miserable Christians, let me apologize to you. I'm so sorry that you've met them. But this is what the Bible actually teaches, what a Christian should look like. That's what we're going to look at in Romans. In Romans, This is what Paul wrote. This is what Christians should demonstrate, these qualities. And this is important for us to know what we're about to read. Because Christians will have a different perspective and, and a different take on affliction, a different take on difficulties, and a different take on a season of waiting. Because a person without Christ, they might respond to a season of waiting by anger and, and hatred maybe. Or maybe by being impatient and callous and hard-hearted. Or maybe even by just giving up on God and, and everyone else altogether because all hope is lost. But as followers of Jesus, what can we do when we find ourselves in a season of waiting? As followers of Jesus, what do we have? What can we do? Let's read this verse together. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Once again, it's in your notes and it's also up here on the screen. Are you guys ready? Let's read it. Go. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Here's what I want to do. I want to do something a little different today. We usually break down the verse from left to right. I want to go backwards, okay? It's... Christmas Eve, why not? I'm gonna, I feel a little crazy. Let's go backwards, okay? So we're going to work through this verse backwards, all right? So here's number one in your notes. You came in. You should have received the pen. There's uh, some talk notes there for you to follow along. Go ahead. Why don't you take out those message notes now if you have it and take out the pen. I want you guys to see what is number one right here. It says to be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. In a season of waiting... It's so important that we be persistent in prayer. But one of the first things that happens when we enter a season of waiting is our relationship with God tends to squander. Right? It's one of the first things when we enter one of those seasons, like we let it go right, right away. But prayer, it keeps us rooted. Prayer keeps us connected with Him in those difficult seasons. Now, if you're here today and you don't know what is prayer, prayer simply is talking and listening to God. It's our opportunity to communicate to God. And why do we pray to God? Because We pray to God because He hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. In fact, look at what it says in Psalm 116, verse 1 and 2. It says this, I love the Lord because He has heard my appeal for mercy. Because He has turned His ear to me. I will call out to Him as long as I live. Would you guys underline the part in your, ver in, in, in your notes where it says, Because He has turned His ear to me. How is God with us in our waiting? He hears our prayers. He answers prayer. Listen, sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes it's a no. 
And sometimes it's a maybe later. But he listens to our prayer and he answers our prayer. Another translation of the Bible, maybe your Bible translates it this way. It says that he bends down to listen. That he bends down to listen. I want you to picture the God of the universe, the one that knows you by name, that he knows the number of hairs on your head. The God of the universe in all his revealed majesty and glory stooping down to listen to you talk. As a father kneels down to listen to his child speak to him, God inclines his ear to hear your prayer. And one of the first things we are quick to do and to let go of when we enter a season of waiting is prayer. But we're going to be persistent in prayer. We are not going to give up. Do not give up. Be persistent in prayer. There is power in prayer because of who you're praying to. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to be persistent in prayer. Number two in your notes is be patient in affliction. Be patient in affliction. Oftentimes, in your season of waiting, God is doing something in you before he can do something through you. Many times in a season of waiting, there's a refinement and purification process that's going on. The way the Bible talks about this refinement is like the refinement of gold or some other precious metal. That's the way the Bible refers to it all the time. You see, in order to have the purest form of gold, you have to remove all of the impurities. And how do you do that? How do you get rid of all the impurities from gold? You have to put it through what? You have to put it through the fire. It needs to go through the fire. Only then can you melt it down and remove all the impurities and have the purest form of gold. But for us, so often, we want to rush through our season of waiting, don't we? When we do so, we bypass what God may be teaching us in the process. We bypass the, what God is doing in us. In our season of waiting, could it be a blessing in disguise? I love what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 7. You have it there in your notes. It says this, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And I would love if you would um, underline the first part of that verse right there. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. You see, we need to be patient in your season of waiting. Be patient because God is oftentimes doing something in you so that he can do something through you. In the fire, your faith is being stretched. Your faith is growing. Your faith is getting stronger. That's why we need to be patient in the affliction. How's God with us in the waiting? What do we do when we're in the waiting? Number one, be persistent in prayer. Number two, be patient in affliction because oftentimes God is doing something in you before he can do something through you. And number three is this, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. So the last thing we can do during our season of waiting is to rejoice in hope. And as followers of Jesus, guess what? We have hope. And we have hope because we have Jesus because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We're not alone. We are not abandoned. We are not left to our own waywardness. We're not left to our own folly. We have hope. 
You can be in the middle of the waiting. You can be in the desert. You can be in the valley. And yet have hope. We have hope and his name is Jesus. 700 years. 700 years after the prophetic word in Isaiah that we read in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. When it finally comes to fruition. Hope arrives. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. I love the decorations. I love the food, the pernil, the ham, the arroz con gandules. I love all that stuff. I love the gifts. I love the trees. I love everything about that. But the reason we celebrate Christmas ultimately is because Jesus was born. That he is Emmanuel, God with us, and that he is our hope. I went to my sister's building the other day. And I went in and they had uh, the whole lobby decorated in the building. It looked like Santa and all his reindeer and everything Christmas just threw up all over the wall. That's what it looked like. It was red and green. There was trees and decorations and ornaments and everything that you can think of all over the walls in the lobby of their building. But they also had these huge letters on the wall. It spelled out hope, joy, peace, faith in huge letters. And all I had in my mind was like, yes, yes, that is Christmas. Hope, peace, joy, faith. And all that is not found in a fat guy with a red suit. All that is found in Jesus. Hope, faith, peace, joy. All that can be found in Jesus. I would love for you guys to read this verse with me nice and loud. Let's read this verse with faith, with hope, with peace and joy. Okay? Psalm chapter 62, verse 5 and 6. Ready? Read it. Go. Rest in God alone, my soul. For my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. Rest in God alone, my soul. For my hope comes from him. Would you guys just put a circle, underline, put a star, arrows, whatever you want, where it says, for my hope comes from him, right there in your notes. My hope, it comes from him. And in your season of waiting, in the middle of your affliction, your hope comes from Him. He is our rock. He is our salvation. Why did Jesus come down? He came down because of love. Because you and I are sinful by nature and choice. And no, it's not a little sin. No, it's not a little white lie. It's a huge, massive, gigantic, enormous, astronomical chasm that separates you and I from God. It separates us from Him eternally. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death and eternal separation from a holy and righteous God. But God in His infinite love for you and I came down. Love came down. Jesus had to be born so that He could die. Because, the price of, because of the price of death, because the price of sin is death, Jesus came to pay your ransom. That baby that you see on the manger, all over fireplaces and all over windowsills, all over the world, did not remain a baby. He grew up to be the sinless and perfect Messiah Jesus Christ. The only one righteous to pay the penalty for our sin. And the truth is that you cannot have a manger scene without a crucifixion scene. Because the only reason he was on a manger was so that he could hang on a cross. 
A crown of thorns was impaled into the sides of his scalp. Nine-inch nails were driven through his wrists and his feet. He was beaten, he was bruised, and he was battered. Isaiah says that the chastisement of our sin was upon his back. He hung his head and he died. And he did it all for love. He did it for you. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to be eternally separated from God. And in his death, you received the forgiveness of sin. But it doesn't finish there. Because three days later, he conquered Satan's sin and death. He rose from the grave. And in his life, we receive newness of life. Why is it important that he conquered death? Why? Because Jesus wasn't just any man. He was God in flesh. So when you put your faith in Him, you're not putting it in just any guy. You can know that He is faithful and He is trustworthy. That the same power that conquered the grave lives within us. And as you were dead in your sin and trespasses, the power of the cross has the power to raise you from your spiritual death and give you life. And all you have to do To experience this forgiveness and this new life is to accept it. Later tonight and tomorrow, all over Bushwick, all over Brooklyn, all over New York City, and all over the world, people are going to be sharing gifts and giving gifts and opening up gifts. And that's all you have to do to receive this free gift of grace. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is trust in Him. Not yourself. You make a poor God. You can't even control when you hiccup. You can't control when you cough. How can you be the savior of yourself? Jesus came and paid the price for your sin. And all you have to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ. He is mighty to save. And if you're here today and you never made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm so glad you made a decision to be with us today. And I'm not going to make an altar call. I'm not going to tell you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you to the front. I don't want to embarrass you. But when you came in, you received the connection card, right? Everybody take out that connection card right now. (coughs) On there, there's some next steps for everyone to take. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, there's some next steps that everybody can take there today. But if if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, then I want to point your attention to where it says, Make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. If you feel like this is the time, if you feel God's tugging at your heart, And he's calling, you know, you know that he's been convicting of your sin. He's drawing you unto himself. And now's your time to make that decision. All you have to do is check the box off. When Stephen comes up later, he's going to let you know how you can um, uh, turn in the connection cards with your often envelopes and all that stuff later. And all we want to do is follow up with you. We want to help you. We want to serve. We want to put a Bible in your hands. We want to walk alongside you. We want to invite you into our family. So if you... Feel like God is tugging at your heart. And you know, you want to experience Emmanuel, God with you. You want to experience the hope in the middle of the waiting. All you have to do is check that off right there. In the waiting, in those difficult seasons of life, what are we going to do? We're going to be persistent in prayer. We're going to be patient in affliction, realizing that maybe God's doing something in us before he can do something through us. And we're going to rejoice in hope. We're going to put all our faith, all our trust, all our hope in Jesus Christ. Would you guys join me in prayer? God, as we pray and as I pray, God, together with my friends and family here today, God, I just pray that you would help those today that are in this room right now that are going through a tough season. 
They're in that waiting room of life right now, Lord. They have more questions than answers. Uh, Lord, they're worried, they're anxious, they're stressed out. God, I just pray that today that we might experience hope. And the hope that comes from putting our faith and trust in Jesus. God, I pray that you would help, Lord, those that are going through those times right now. I pray that you would strengthen and encourage and that you would be with every single one of us. And especially those that are going through those seasons of waiting. God, for those that are feeling a tug in their heart, Lord, to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would nudge them ever so gently and ever so lovingly towards the cross. And that they would put their faith and trust in you. God, we thank you that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That you have granted us the forgiveness of sin. That you've given us newness of life. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.